I'm Shachar Azani, and in the news, Israel under attack. As the situation escalates on the ground between Israel and the terrorist organization Hamas, last night was an especially difficult one in Israel. Rockets were launched in the middle of the night several times towards large population centers in Israel, and many, too many Arab Israelis rioted in the streets of mixed cities like Lod, Akko, and Yafo, in some cases, forcing Jews to flee their homes. To share what's happening on the ground, I am absolutely thrilled to have with us today on JBS, Adele Reamer, all the way from the south of Israel. A few words about Adele. Adele was born in the United States and has lived in a kibbutz on the border with the Gaza Strip since 1975. She is a mother and a grandmother living and raising her family on this volatile border. She's also a teacher of English as a foreign language, as well as a teacher trainer and counselor for EFL and a tech integration coach. She blogs often about both life on the border and has recently become a devoted YouTuber as well. Her personal channel covers other issues close to her heart, including life on the border and medical clowning. Adele is a trained medical clown, and as any Southern clown would do, clowns as often as she can in the pediatric ward in the hospital in Ashkelon. She was recently included among Haaretz's 10 Jewish faces who made waves in 2018. She was invited to Geneva by an independent investigative committee for the United Nations to bear witness to the border situation situation in November of 2018 and in December of 2019 addressed the UN Security Council at the request of the Ambassador of the United States to the United Nations. Adele, thank you so much for joining us on JBS today. Thank you so much for having me, for inviting me. So first and foremost, tell us how are you doing? How is everything? Things are very tense, especially now. Um, we've had a very tense two days and it's very tense now as well because there have been um, assassinations of very, very key people in Gaza, key Hamas people, um, and we're expecting serious retaliation. So, so like what we saw a little bit of last night towards Tel Aviv and the center of the country as far as Herzliya. So, so first of all, tell us a little bit of where you are. Um, we mentioned you've been living there since 1975. So where are you? What, what brought you to Israel? What have you been doing? And how, how have th things changed for you in the course of the last uh, couple of decades? So I was born in the States and grew up in the Bronx. Uh, I was in a Jewish youth movement, Young Judea. And... At the end of high school, as part of Young Judea, there's something called the year course. And I came to Israel as part of the year course. Um, that was 72, 73. And I was planning on going back to the States and going to NYU and studying theater there. But I missed the auditions because I was in Israel while there were the auditions. So when I got back in August 72, I was just sort of biding my time doing uh, different odd jobs. And then the Yom Kippur War broke out. And I realized, well, I didn't start university and I'm not doing anything special here. What am I doing here? I, Israel needs me. So I made Aliyah in uh, the Yom Kippur War was October 73. I made Aliyah at the end of December 73 to Kibbutz Keturah 
which is a kibbutz in the Arava, which was founded by members of my youth movement. In the Arava, south of Israel. So you- In you, the Arava, the south of Israel, many of you maybe have heard of the, the Arava Institute. Of course. Um, it's, it, they, they do a lot of very good, well-known work. They do amazing, amazing work. And just a word for our viewers, I've worked with them many a time when I served as an Israeli diplomat in Nairobi, extending Israeli expertise, not just to Africa, but throughout the world using, uh, working with the United Nations there. So thank you for mentioning that, Adele. Okay. Um, so because I made Aliyah so close to the Yom Kippur War, I was 19, and as soon as I landed, I was given my draft papers and told to be at the draft board within a year, and I was drafted into the army. And as part of my army service, because I was on this young, small kibbutz, part of my army service was done on the kibbutz. And when at one point, for different personal reasons, I wanted to leave, I couldn't just leave and go anyplace. I had to go to someplace that the army would approve of. And at that point, I came to Nirim, that was 1975. And I've been here ever since. Um, when I came to live here, this was not a war zone. It was still on the border with the Gaza Strip, but the Gaza Strip was not volatile at that point. The, people would go in and out freely. Um, we used to get in a car and go to the beach. We, we would go to the Gaza, the Shuk, the, the open air market in, in Gaza City. And Gazans would come and work here as well. In fact, a Gazan worked on, built this house, which uh, we moved into this house in 1997. And a Gazan built the kitchen. He was like working in the kitchen one day when I, I came over and I asked him, well, it must be really hard for you to work here because in order to get through the, the checkpoints, you have to get up really early. And he said, yeah, I have to get up at like five in the morning to be here at seven, but, but it's worth it because at least I can feed my family and, and clothe them and, and earn a decent living. So that's what it was like when I moved here and many years afterwards, that was like more than 20 years. Is your family, uh, where are your kids? Where's your family? Are they in that area with you? Where do they live? Now? Yes. So one of my daughters lives on the kibbutz. She got married and has two children and is living here now, although she is not currently here. She went to a less volatile place because having children in the safe room all day is not an easy thing to do. She's got two little ones. Six how, many, and, uh, how many grandkids do you have? How many? So altogether, I have seven grandchildren. I've got two kids that live in... Tel Aviv, uh, and one daughter lives in Kibbutz Wuhama, which is also in the Western Negev, it's just outside of Stirot. So I have two kids in, I used to say, I have two, two grandchildren in, in um, tunnel range, but now the tunnels have been virtually, um, that, that threat has been negated. But I have, so I have two, five grandchildren on the border in rocket range, usually, and another two in Tel Aviv who were in rocket range last night. They're not usually, but last night Tel Aviv was, uh, they did have to go down to the bomb shelter, which they had never done in their lives. 
tell, tell us a little bit um, about that, those experiences. So many of our viewers um, and so many people around the US are unfamiliar with what does it feel like, the alarms, the uh, how many, how much time do you have to run? What, what do you feel when that happens? And not just for yourself, but I can imagine the fear for the safety and well-being of your grandkids, of your kids, of your family. How does that work? Share with us a little bit of what's going on. So, so first of all, when my children were growing up, this was not the situation, as I said. So I cannot talk as a mother of young children that I have to go and scoop them up in the middle of the night and run into the safe room with them. But um, so my two grandchildren here on the border sleep in a room that is a safe room, that is their bedroom. So when there's an alarm in the middle of the night, their parents get up and run. Um, here on the border, we have zero to 10 seconds between the time there's an alert and the time you hear an explosion. And hopefully we will not get to experience that during this talk, but if you see me suddenly disappear, then that is the reason why, because, because there have been many alerts recently in, in the past few hours. Um, the farther away you live, the, the more time you have. So my daughter that lives in Ruham, I believe has about 15 seconds, but nobody ever shoots out to there because that's like way out of the way. And in Tel Aviv, I think they said they have 90 seconds, but still 90 seconds when you're not expecting it to grab your kids. And in Tel Aviv, if you're in a, a building, many, many, many of the older buildings do not have safe rooms. They have to go to the nearest bomb shelter. And that is not necessarily a minute and a half away from your apartment on the fifth floor when you have to go downstairs with sleeping children, it's not easy. It's very, very scary. And, and we have seen cases, for instance, last night in Israel, where well, even in the dead of night, when you hear the sirens, the fact that the family was able to hear the alarm and rush downstairs to the safe room actually saved their lives because the rocket landed on their home. Wasn't that the case, Adele? Uh, indeed, and, and words matter. So we don't say the rocket land, a rocket does not land, it explodes. Um, something that I learned when I was starting to blog about life on the border. Very true. Language matters. So yes, rockets exploded on people's homes, on people's bedrooms. And if it had, they had exploded when they were there, they would not be here to tell the tale today. And how do you view, um, I mean, how is the community handling it? You, but also your neighbors, your businesses. I guess life is far from being, you know, business as usual, but do, do people flee their homes? Do they stay around? What, what is the sentiment? What is the social strength? What are you feeling on the ground from people around you? So when, if you have young children in, in times like these, you usually, choose to leave with them, to, to take them someplace that it is, that's at least not zero to 10 seconds running distance to safety. Um, my daughter left this morning. Uh, and I know that a lot of the other families on kibbutz also went elsewhere. We, ever since um, 2006, when we could smell the winds of escalation and more coming, our kibbutz had a, a plan 
with an, an agreement with a kibbutz in the center of the country, Mishmar Emek, that if there is escalation, um, we would be able to, anybody who wanted to from Nirim could go and be there. They emptied out one of their children's houses for us and people slept there with their families. Um, and that's what happened for the three different operations that we had in 20, 2008, 2012, and 2014. Um, and this was just our kibbutz that made this plan, it, uh, that, that had the foresight to do it. This was not organized by the government. After um, Operation Protective Shield, is that what it was called, the 2014? After Operation Protective Shield, um, the government realized that you can't just leave it to different communities to do this pairing, because our community is a very strong one and a very forward-thinking one, but not all communities had places to go during 2014. So after 2014, they made a plan for all of the communities in the Gaza envelope, in the area that, that hugs the Gaza Strip, um, and, and twins us with other places. So we're no longer going to be going to Mishmara Emek. Rather, if there is, um, in fact, families have already gone there, we've been twinned up with uh, Steboker which is um, closer to us logistically. And if there are people who work in Beersheba, it makes it possible for them to be in Steboker and get to work. Whereas if they were with their families in Bishmara Emek, it's more challenging, it's a farther distance. So in fact, I know for a fact that there are a few families that already now are in Steboker. Um, and the people who stay behind, like yours truly, are people who stay behind because there's because there's a reason to stay behind. Um, there's when 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 there's a tense situation, a serious uh, situation in the army in Israel, they have something that's called sabshmone. Sabshmone is a, a special legal system that the army enacts in order to be able to call up their reserves, like from now to now, like right now. Right. So I always say that when there's an escalation, I'm on Tzav Shimona and I'm in the reserves because this is what I do. I give, um, I stay behind in order to bear witness because what goes on in Gaza is horrible. But what happens here ain't no picnic either. And the no. world needs to understand that. You know, Adele, you're talking about Sav Shimoni, and of course, we here uh, salute you, support you, and love you very much with everything that uh, you're going through. Just know that you're on our minds and in our hearts, and in a sense, our frustration leads us to our very own Sav Shimoni of recruiting all of our capabilities to convey your message and your strength and your passion to do what's right that goes far beyond Nirim and all over the United States and to all of the American and American Jewish communities who are watching us now and truly are concerned for your fate, but also inspired by your strength and your courage. You know, one element in your bio really stood out to me and showed you as a community leader. Tell us a little bit about the emotional, psychological struggle there for kids and adults and your medical clowning in this regard, like supporting the social um, efforts to maintain some sort of sanity and stability with people. How is that going? So, um, I, I'm not a psychologist and my medical clowning did not exactly tr 
trained me to deal with trauma, but there are tools in medical clowning that can be used for trauma. And there was a period in, I believe it was 2012, right after I became, uh, I finished my training as medical clowning and it is training a whole year, once a week, four hours. It was a rigorous course of learning how to twist balloons and doing magic tricks and telling jokes and, and, and how to approach a patient in the hospital. Um, so during the 2012 operation, there were a whole bunch of medical clowns that got together and were coming down to communities on the border in order to do some clowning to raise people's spirits because laughter heals. It's not, it, it's not just up here. Physiologically, when you laugh, you've got hormones that are rele released and it, it physically, physiologically helps you feel better and heals. And I was very frustrated because I couldn't join them because I was too scared to drive on the road that I would have had to take that would have led me to them because it's really, really all along the border. Um, and then I realized, hey, I've got my own bomb shelter here with people there that could do with some medical clowning. So I got into my clown costume and I added something for the flavor of the period of time. So I put on a flak jacket and a helmet and I went to the bomb shelter and did my shtick and and made people laugh and laughter's the best medicine right i i couldn't agree more uh you know i'm listening to you and again really in awe and, and inspired by you but i'm also hearing the chirping of the birds and the serenity of the place you really live in and have been living in and, and raised a family in since 1975 and having kids there and not far from you and that element of true pioneering spirit and Zionism. So maybe you can share a couple of words because we're not gonna let Hamas dictate everything in our lives. Maybe we can take advantage of this opportunity and tell us a little bit about Nirim, about the kibbutz, the place you live in. What is it like? What's happening there? What do you do? so that next time we can come and visit you and see how you're doing in person. So first of all, in this area, we call it 95% heaven, 5% hell. And as I'm talking to you now, unfortunately, we are in the middle of this 5% hell, but it will pass. And since the 2014 war, we have absorbed something like if over 20 families 20 families with children who have come here because of the quality of life that you can have here. Because as you said, the, what you can hear now are the birds chirping and you go outside. When, when I was growing up in the Bronx, my dream was to open up the door and see green. So I say, I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> I open up my door and there is green, even though it's in the middle of the desert. Um, it's a beautiful community. It's a warm community. Um, there, I do give tours on the community for people who come down to hear about life on the border. And I do it voluntarily, but I ask for a donation and the donations go to the safe room decoration project. And we have a caricaturist here who has done amazing wall paintings, murals on these safe rooms. 
Tell us a little bit about the Save Room Decoration Project. Share a little bit about that. What is it exactly? How long have you been doing it? What's your goal? And if people want to donate, how can they do it? So um, my goal is to decorate all of the safe rooms in our community. And if you want to, I can, I can send you pictures afterwards. But there were, um, as of like from 2007, they started bringing what it is really, it looks like, uh, a, a bus stop, but it's it's a big concrete structure that I guess can hold like 10 people and it's reinforced concrete and it, it's the place where you can run into, it's like a safe room that is not attached to a house. So they plop them down every few hundred meters in the community so that people could walk around safely and if there's a red alert, have some place to jump into, but they look horrible. So that's why um, at, at one point, mm, it must be about, I think it was like in tw just after 2014 that this guy Arnon, who's also the community spokesperson, started painting one of them and he painted it near a playground. So it would look, so it wouldn't be so threatening for the children playing there. And I saw that and I said, hey, Arnon, are you gonna do any more? And he said, well, I'd love to, but you know, it takes a lot of time and energy and, and work and, and paint and it costs money. So until then, I'd been taking people on tours totally for free um, because when I tell the story, it's not my story that I'm telling. It's my community story. And I didn't feel comfortable taking money for that. But I said, this is something I can ask for money for. So so we so every time a group comes, they donate whatever they want to the project and I think we have at least 10 safe rooms already that are decorated and beautiful and I'm happy to send you the pictures afterwards that, you can share I think incredible incredible to hear Adele this is really um, a beautiful element I want to uh, um, you know move towards a, a conclusion of our wonderful conversation and ask you two things um, what is your hope for your family and for the future and for the future of Israel? What do you want to see happening? Um, and what's your message that you would like to share at this moment with our many viewers all across the US? So my hope is that we're going to be able to turn back the clock and have this place be the way it used to be when I came to live here on both sides of the border, because because I worry about the people from Gaza as, in, as well. I'm in touch with people from Gaza. Um, and I know that the great majority, the vast majority of them just want the same thing that I want, to put food on their tables and to clothe their children and, and educate them and, and, and be good neighbors. And we could be really good neighbors again. We have been in the past. Um, I think our both of both sides need brave people that are willing to put down the weapons and get to the table and talk and find a solution because there is a solution. There are many solutions, but there has to be the tenacity, the, 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 our leaders on both sides have to have that at the top of their to-do lists to find the solution to enable us and them to live our lives normally like like people should and not have to be scared that a 
plane is going to come and bomb them or rockets are going to be shot over or balloons are going to be coming over with incendiary devices exploding in our fields. And have you seen such balloons? Have you seen personally such balloons coming in near, near, uh, near him? Personally, no. But personally, I have made two maps, a map of fires, because people didn't realize how widespread these fires were. And that really bothered me. So in the same way that I opened up the Facebook group Life on the Border, when I realized that people do not understand what it's like to live here, I opened up a Google map. And every time there's a fire, I put a fire on the map in order to give a graphic representation of how widespread this is. I have never seen the balloons. They're really hard to spot because we're in this when they're in the sky, they're they're you know high up and they're small. But I've seen the fires. When they start, you can't miss those. Smell them too. And and just lastly, what's your message for our viewers? What do you want them to take from our conversation today? So first of all, I want to thank them for their support. It helps us, it inspires us that we know that we have you over there supporting us. If it's with money, if it's with energy, if it's with political things, if it's just with the love that you send us, everything that we get from you is truly, truly appreciated. And we would not be able to do what we're doing here if we didn't have you guys who have our backs. So, so that's first of all, thank you. Um, and second of all, I, I need you to believe with me. I need you to believe with me that people in, in, in their essence are good and people do not want, people do not want to kill each other. And Arabs are not all Jew haters and Jews are not all Arab haters. And to believe that we can find a solution, we have to. Amen. I wouldn't Amen. be able to live here. I wouldn't be able to live here if I didn't have that optimistic outlook. I wouldn't be able to live here. Optimism has always been the engine of the Zionist dream. Adele, I really want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You did it quietly. I didn't have to run even once. There were red alerts while we were talking, but not here. Thank God. Thank God for... uh, for those favors and um, I want to thank you and I want to say what an inspiration you are for courageously coming out and speaking even in times of great strife about the potential for peace tranquility and stability for being able to listen to the chirping of the the birds even when rockets don't just land but explode in people's homes and on on people's heads and to realize the Zionist dream, as you shared with us, that there have been dozens of families joining the kibbutz, even since 2014, and in times when there are such issues coming up in this volatile border, that is 95% heaven and a few teeny percentages of hell like you're experiencing today. Just know that you have our love and you have our support, and I hope to get back to you soon and check up on you and see how you're doing. And just know that, again, you are on our minds and in our hearts all the time. And to you, our viewers, I'd I'd like like to... Just one more sentence. As Theodore Herzl said, if you wish it, it will come true. And that's Israel, and that's for our situation as well. If we wish it, it will come true. 
I couldn't agree more. To take nothing for granted and understand that the existence of Israel itself is a realization of a dream born out of a great engine of optimism and great hopes for the future. For without hope, we truly have nothing. I'd like to thank all of you, our viewers, for watching. To all of you, we say stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'd like to thank our director, Sloan Copeland, JBS's managing director, Dara Golub, our technical manager, Michael Paley, transmission manager, John McDevitt, and to our wonderful producer of In the News, Carol Lilienthal. For JBS, I'm Shahar Azani. Until next time, see you soon. Shalom and Lehi Travel.